Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hey guys, welcome back to Dish Upon a Star, where we talk to some of your favorite stars from your favorite shows and movies. And today's guest is Steven Kramer Glickman. You might recognize him as Gustavo Rock from Big Time Rush. You might recognize his voice as Pigeon Toady in Storks. Or you listen to his podcast, The Nighttime Show. Or you've also downloaded his stand-up comedy album, Voices in My Head. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It uh, It's it's really nice, really nice to be able to chat with you today. I love it. Well, obviously, we were talking about a little bit earlier before we came on how this weekend and our, the time that we live in is very interesting. Ooh. It is unlike anything at least in my time that I have dealt with so far. So yeah, how, I, how are you feeling? I, I'm, you know, I'm uh, lucky I have some, I have like some smart people in my life that I can call and ask questions to because I'm a very emotional person and, um, an, you know, a, a, a real right brain, like creative type. I'm, I'm a creative type folk. And um, I'm circus folk, basically. And uh, so I, you know, like, um, you know, like I, I had to like call upon some of my friends and uh, and and things to to kind of understand some of the things that were happening over the like the last 24 hours. And some of it is is heartbreaking and um, and really, it's a really tricky thing to 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 wrap your head around you know as as this is going as things have been going down you know it's i i i'm i'm still trying i'm still trying to figure it all out but uh but yeah um you know i i think it's a you know i think i think you know protesting is a, a, a like a very smart idea and uh can make you know can make things change and make people listen up and i think it's very scary when other people use protests to uh do destructive things that have nothing to do that are not that are not part of the cause that are just you know like anarchists and stuff Mm -hmm. doing crazy stuff and that that's the first time i've ever witnessed that is like you know seeing a white guy smash windows in an auto zone while people are peacefully protesting you're it's just it messes with the inside of my brain it's like too much for my brain to handle i'm like i don't know what to i don't i i don't know how to help it and i in I, as someone who likes to get involved in causes and social awareness and social justice and stuff it it it's so confusing to me and so anti what i you know, I like I want to I want to help out, but I don't I don't know how to. So that's um, 
I keep asking uh, all my smart friends how I can help, and then they tell me, and then I, I do those things. So, I mean, it's also like uh, not even just the protests that's been happening just all over the world because of what happened. Also, we've been in quarantine for a uh, big chunk of this as well. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, before this happened, how are you adjusting to quarantine life? You know, quarantine for me has been um in some ways i know i'm not supposed i like i'm not trying to say like quarantine has been good because it hasn't been good it was it was hard you know it's hard being away from your friends um i live in los angeles because i work in this industry and not being able to to work um and not being able to do the things that i'm that i love to do you know that the reason that i live here like you know that's that's a, a difficult that that was a difficult thing but then you know on the positive side of quarantine um my uh my i got to have breakfast with my girlfriend every day so that was nice i got to eat a lot of french toast um i got to spend a lot of time uh writing and uh working on scripts and uh, doing, you know, uh, building, uh, you know, like nerdy little things at home and, you know, just doing, doing some of the, some of the stuff that, that you maybe I wouldn't normally be doing just because there's, uh, you're forced to do it. You're forced to be quiet and be home. Uh, that, that was, you know, that's, there's like the there's that was the positive side of it the negative side was watching people like my mom her business that where she makes her that she makes her living from is based on parties so if uh her entire business is shut down during this time which sucks is that's really 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 rough um so you know you know being like like i want things to get back to normal because I know, I mean, and as a comedian, I don't get to perform. I haven't gotten to do, I've only gotten to do one or two stand-up shows and they've been on Zoom and it's weird performing on Zoom. So um, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things. I've tried to find the positives in it, but the negatives have been, have been difficult too, for sure, for sure, you know? Also, it's so weird uh, to wear a mask and walk into the bank. <laughs> like that, or go in the grocery store and everyone in the grocery store is wearing masks and gloves you're just like it just like that's taken you know i'm finally starting to get used to it but it definitely took some time to get used to that being like a new normal kind of situation you know yeah and because of covid like you said you've been in this business for a while now and obviously Hollywood has also been affected a lot by the shutdown of all production, all studios, no performance spaces are open. How do you think when our quarantine is lifted, Hollywood will be affected? Like for better or worse, how do you think we're gonna be affected by that? Well, I'll, I'll say this, for voiceover work, um, I just did my first SAG voiceover job. Um, since the since the quarantine started um and the voiceover job was basically like you i walked into a building 
I didn't touch anything to get to the recording studio. Then they opened the record. They opened the door for me. They had a table with gloves and masks and hand sanitizer instead of craft service. It was that. Um, they had bottled water. They had um, paper stuff that you'd put over the headphones, to, like mm -hmm. they, they go against your ears. And they had like a little sock thing, a uh, little medical looking sock thing that went over the microphone to keep it from, uh, you know, getting it, you know, whatever. And then I never interacted with anyone physically. They would just text me the sides and I would read them on the, on an iPad. And that's, wow. that's how voiceover was done. And it was like, not really that bad. Like it was pretty okay. When it comes to acting uh, on a soundstage, I think the way that it's going to be done as far as I'm hearing is uh, super, super limited, limited crew. When, a, when, uh, when, actors come on the stage it's most everyone's going to be in video village everyone else is going to be on the stage makeup and hair people are going to probably they're going to try to be less and less of those people that are there and you'll have them assigned personally to the actors and all that kind of stuff they'll you know they won't be like craft service tables or things like that like there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to be very different the way that they handle it. But, you know, hopefully um, they'll get, they'll get, you know, they'll figure it out and we'll, we'll get back to making television shows and movies soon because it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I know a lot of people that are on TV shows that got TV shows picked up for new seasons and they're just trying to figure out how to shoot them. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a different world than it was before for sure. But definitely. I mean, yeah. fun fact guy. So me and Steven actually shared going to the same school, although in different States, he went yeah. to AMDA in New York and I went to AMDA in LA, but I'm curious, how did graduating from AMDA, which stands for American Musical and Dramatic Academy for those also listening, how does it going from AMDA to last comic standing? How does that work? Um, well, I went to, I graduated, you know, from a musical theater conservatory um, from AMDA in the year 2000. I got back uh, home a little while after that to my, to like San Diego where my mom lives, um, moved back in with my mom tried to figure out how to get an, you know, audition for a national tour or do something. But I just, I didn't really have the money to keep living in New York. And I didn't really know what to do with my life and my career after I got out of school. Like AMDA now um, has classes that they teach on like how, what to do after graduation, like how to move forward, which, which they're like, and they're teaching people like how to do their taxes and stuff like that. Like, there was none of that when I was there. Like it was very, you know, loosey goosey. And um, <laughs> what what ended up happening is I, I kind of got home and I didn't really know what to do with myself. And then my, like I, 
someone I knew had written a musical, a terrible musical, by the way. And I ended up getting cast in their terrible national tour of a musical. And I toured the whole country doing this awful show. Every city we went to hated us and gave us terrible reviews, terrible, terrible reviews. And uh, I ended up in Los Angeles. I had a month break before our next performance. And the hotel we were staying in had a stand-up comedy night in the bowling alley next door. And um, and I, I decided to start doing stand-up. And then I quit the tour to just do stand-up. And, and uh, I loved it. And, uh, and then when Last Comic Standing came around, I waited in line for like 22 hours and uh, waited on the street all night and all day. And then I got to go in and audition and then made it onto the show and made it into the Hollywood Nights uh, episode, basically, which was uh, big. It was big for me. It was like my first big TV credits. So it was pretty crazy. It was pretty cool. Besides the the terrible musical you just spoke of, you actually did the Shrek the Musical Broadway workshops. That is very true. Yeah, that um, happened right around the same time as Last Comic Standing. Um, it, weirdly enough, that's like 2007. 2007, yeah, 2007. And um, I, I went to, the, to an open call for Shrek the Musical and beat out a hundred fat guys for the role of <laughs> Shrek in the Shrek musical. And uh, then DreamWorks moved me to New York City and I got to spend uh, a year working on the Shrek musical with like the biggest Broadway people in the world. It was crazy. It was amazing. Amazing. And how did you feel once it moved to Broadway, but they weren't bringing you along? Oh, um, it was heartbreaking not being able to do the show on Broadway, but um, it definitely taught me to enjoy the process of things and not the result. Uh, that is a big life lesson is that like the win isn't always the big, uh, it isn't always what you think it's going to be, you know? Like, sure, of course, I would have loved to play Shrek in the Shrek musical and the original cast on Broadway and blah, blah, blah. But then also like, not to use bad language, but like who gives a shit? Like the show wasn't that great. By the time it opened on Broadway, it was not a great show. And it is missing. I mean, it's a fine show, but it's not. It's not like, look, if you went to school for musical theater or for theater in general, you know what a good musical is. Like, you know, Sondheim, you know, uh, Angela Twins, <laughs> you know, like Rodgers and Hammerstein. These are, you know, uh, these are phenomenal pieces of work and you know Janine Tesori is a genius and Thoroughly Modern Millie is a, a almost flawless musical and Carolina Change which uh, was incredible is a beautiful beautiful piece of work I think it may have won 
the Pulitzer or the Tony Award. Um, and David Lindsay Abair, who wrote the script for Shrek, David uh, ended up, um, he wrote uh, the play Rabbit Hole, uh, which is a very critically acclaimed, famous piece of work. And he also wrote Lincoln for the, for Steven Spielberg. Like, he is a phenomenal writer. And it, when you have talented people working and you have a movie studio who's never made a Broadway show before, tearing it apart and putting it back together whichever way they see fit at the moment uh, that's not gonna make a great show you know like if steven sondheim was writing sweeney todd and every two days a studio executive was coming in and going i don't like this song and throwing it in the trash write a new song before you know it like you know it's not going to be as good as the inspiration's going to get screwed up at some point and uh you know there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen on that project i mean we had uh jeffrey katzenberg we had david geffen we had sam mendez we had jason moore who did pitch perfect we had tim wilde the musical director of rent um and the list goes on and on and on of people who were in there while you know trying to form it and get it right and I've, I'm lucky that I didn't end up doing Shrek on Broadway because at the exact same time, I got cast on Big Time Rush on Nickelodeon. So I wouldn't have gotten uh, Big Time Rush if, if I would have done Shrek on Broadway. That's just, the timing wouldn't have worked out. I wouldn't, I, when they overlapped each other. So, uh, and Big Time Rush completely changed my life, you know, still to this day. Do you remember the most about your audition for Big Time Rush? What, say it again? What do you remember the most about your audition for Big Time Rush? Um, I said, uh, I had to improvise some dialogue in my audition. And I said, uh, like, I'm the greatest producer. I'm the greatest music producer that has ever lived. If it wasn't for me, Ice Cube would still be going by his original name, Greg Spineberg or something like this. Like I just made up some bullshit. I was like, I told Ice Cube to call himself Ice Cube. Before that, his name was like Greg Eisenberg. That's not a cool name. You know, and then like I said something else. Like I gave uh, Tony Shalhoub his first hip hop album. Tony Shalhoub from Monk. I gave him his first album. I got just brag, brag about all this stuff that, you know, is so stupid. And um, they were crying while I was doing it. They were crying their eyes out. They loved it. And then uh, I left my audition and I went over to the set of Monk, which was shooting <laughs> on the lot, which I was working on the show Monk at the time in the art department that's what my job was prior to being on big time rush was just an, just an uh like a set art person so i would i'd print up the posters and the paintings on these gigantic printers and we hang drops and stuff like that you know backgrounds and things behind the, when when someone's standing in a house and you, you have the yard outside the yard is a the drop i would print the drop off of a wow. printer and uh 
And so I saw Tony Shalhoub and I said, I just talked about you in my audition. And he said, what did you say? I said, I, I made a joke saying I gave you your first hip hop album. And he laughed really hard and he was like, I hope you get it. And then my phone rang and it was uh, Nickelodeon saying, get your ass back over to the audition room. You have a callback right now. And I was like, oh my God. And I went back over, I did the callback. And then I was cast 24 hours later and 48 hours later was my first day of shooting. Wow. So, That's epic. And then it was five years, five years of my life that were all big time rushy rushes. And it's, <laughs> it's it stayed with me forever. You know, I mean, it's, it's 10, 11 years since we started and, you know, I'm I mean, 41. I turned 30 while we were filming it. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, becoming Gustavo Rock after four seasons, how close was Gustavo and Steven in personality? I firmly believed that I needed to mesh the two of us together as much as I possibly could, um, which seems crazy in retrospect but like i was doing stuff like you know i like kangle for example kangle the hat company that they did mm -hmm. all my flat caps i wore on the show um the i you know i wanted to wear a different color in every episode and the network was like, we don't really have the money to be buying, you know, you know, $40 hats for every episode. Like, you know, it's a costume department. Like, they only have a limited budget. So I called Kangle and asked if they were interested in sponsoring me. And, and they did. And then I got, uh, I was the first, um, you, you could say a white Jewish actor to be sponsored by Kangle. And then Kangle, uh, and it wasn't a financial sponsor. It was a, a, a clothing sponsor. But they, they have sent me uh, between 20 and 30 hats every three months for the last 10 years. So... Wow. So I have a collection of about uh, 80 to 100 hats that I keep at one time, and then the rest of them get a part, you know, parceled parceled out to friends and family and things like that. But um, it, it it became like part of my of who I am on the show, and and when I wear that hat, if I go out in public wearing a Gustavo hat, people immediately they just they just see me and they go, oh, I know who that is. That's that's Gustavo from the show. It's like, it's an almost immediate thing. And they love it. Like, Kangol loved that that's kind of what we did. And, and you know, they made it so that, like, for example, on a TV show like Big Time Rush, if Gustavo has to get hit in the face with a cream pie, right? <laughs> so if I'm wearing a blue Kangol hat that's $40, then what happens if they need to do another take, right? Then mm -hmm. I need to wear another one that's not covered in whipped cream or whatever. Um, so they would send like three or four of each color 
to to me to use on the show and so that way i had doubles and triples you know of everything so that way we could do stunts and not worry that it would mess you know uh you know mess things up that's so cool here's a fun question for you who was your favorite big time rush member oh that's impossible (laughs) um I mean, I love all four of those boys so much. They were, they're all such wonderful guys. Um, Logan and me spent probably the most amount of time together during the run of the show because our dressing rooms were across from each other. And so we, we have breakfast together almost every day. And um, I have a, a, a lot of love for that kid. He's, he's, I've, I'm very, uh, I'm very proud of him. And I think he's, doing good things um kendall uh is probably the the person i talk to the most of of the cast like in our adult lives i i probably talk to kendall maybe once every two weeks now and uh during quarantine we've talked a lot and you know he's he's the easiest he's the easiest to hang with um james i've known since he's 12 I've known him almost um, a lot, a, a large amount of his life because we grew up uh, near each other in San Diego. So I, I used to see him around a lot and and always kind of knew he was super talented. And Carlos, you know, Carlos is a, is a, is is a, is Carlos, you know? <laughs> great kid, great kid. Carlos Love, is Carlos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What did you like the most about Big Time Rush overall? Um, probably hearing uh, musical performances live and hearing how talented everybody, seeing how talented everybody was up close and getting to pretend to be their manager, you know, and and pretend that I was writing songs for them, that they were you know, other people were actually writing, but I'd have to learn them on the piano and, and pretend like I was, um, like, I'll never forget the, the one that I loved was, uh, uh, any kind of guy you want, that's the kind of me. Right. Yeah. So learning, I had to learn that on the piano and do it softly. So it was like, any kind of guy you want. That's the kind they'll be. This song is terrible. It's terrible. And it was like, I was having so much fun pretending to like come up with it. And and to this day, uh, fans 100% believe that I wrote those songs because they saw me write them. And <laughs> I didn't write them. I only wrote Snickerdoodle. I only wrote the Snickerdoodle song. That's the only song I wrote in the whole run of the show. Well, Lisa wasn't Yard Squirrel Christmas. Wait, say it again. Lisa wasn't Yard Squirrel Christmas. No, 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 no. But I got into ASCAP, the uh, music uh, union, for writing uh, Snickerdoodle on my noodle. Went right to my big caboodle. I love Snickerdoodles. Wrote that, wrote it on the piano. Got me in the union. Nice. Who was your favorite guest star? Because you guys had... A ton of them. Well, Snoop Dogg is the best guest star you can possibly get on any television show in the world. Uh, 
generally the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, yeah, he was amazing. He's my, he's probably my favorite. Uh, second to Snoop Dogg would be Jeffrey Ross, the roast master general. Having him come on and roast me on the show was a huge deal. Um, originally they tried to get Jeff Ross and Sarah Silverman to come together and roast me. Um, but Jeff, Jeff is a really good friend of mine. And he was like, I want to come do it. And I want to do my own thing with it. I want to make my own jokes. And if you watch that episode, there is no fucking way in current, in the world currently, we could get away with the jokes that he was saying on Nickelodeon. Like he said, uh, your music makes me want to kill myself. He said that on Nickelodeon. Yeah. Extraordinary. And then he also said, uh, this uh my this this song reminds me of my grandmother and she's been dead for 20 years like he had all these like great roasts that he was doing it was awesome it was awesome i love jeff and bobby lee um was on the show uh at 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 my request i um i pushed for him and bobby lee is one of the funniest people i think on the planet and I, I knew if we had him, it would be uh, comedy gold. And he was extraordinary. It was so funny. So funny on the show. And what was your favorite episode? Favorite episode of BTR was probably the, when I did the slumber party, Big Time Terror. And I slept <laughs> over at the at the house and you destroyed everything <laughs> i destroyed everything but it was like i was in every scene so i was having so much it was just fun it was fun being around for for a whole week and doing and doing every doing like almost every single scene in the episode which was not something i usually got to do i was usually the not the a storyline i was usually the b storyline on the show so getting a chance to uh to be around for the whole thing was so much fun. And uh, you have a podcast called The Nighttime Show. What inspired you to do the podcast? Um, well, you know how, like, in this business, you meet people that are, like, that you're, like, a fan of sometimes? Like, sometimes you just meet someone, you're like, oh, my God, I've been a fan of you forever. And then you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? information that I just met this person or that they gave me their number and told me, Hey, we should hang sometime. It's like, yeah, I want to hang, but I want to like talk to you about your life. Like I want to like learn everything and podcasting gives you such a great excuse to really get in deep and ask people the stuff that you've always wanted to know. And, um, and it strengthens the strengthens the uh, relationship like Joey Fatone, from the from the the band In Sync, um, I've been a fan of Joey Fatone and In Sync for a very long time. Of course, I've always wanted to talk to him about what it was like, you know, with you know Justin Timberlake and Lance Bass and everybody, what that whole process was like. And doing a podcast means that I get to call him up and go, "All right, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk for an hour all about you." and your life and your career and how it's all worked out. And um, 
there's a lot of people i've you know we've done a hundred and uh 80 episodes something like that of the show and um we've talked to some fascinating fascinating people over the years and uh we've been doing it four years also the other thing i love about doing it is it's hosted by me and three of my best friends and so i have these three best friends that we get to just hang out with our heroes sometimes we're in their living room like sometimes we're going to their home and eating snacks and looking at their stuff and just like <laughs> sitting around with them in their in their kitchen and like we went and we went to Ed Asner's home and saw all seven of his Emmy awards and sat across from him and talked to him for an hour and it was extraordinary it just it felt great so um yeah um i love doing it i love learning about other people so much fun has your hosting has hosting your podcast driven your work as a stand-up comedian and as an actor you would say um i don't know if it has it's made me better at listening um but i don't know if it's helped my stand-up but it's 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 helped i think it's helped make me a more uh uh to, i think it's helped help me have more empathy for people and and learn more about where people are coming from and how they end up sometimes in the situations they end up in and um and that that's uh that's good enough for me you know now you once said that the only people more screwed up than comedians are musical theater actors. Do you still stand by that? Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe. Um, the, I said, I said that. I definitely did say that. Um, musical theater people seem like they are, they've got, a lot of musical theater people have like a lot of, unhinged stuff happening up here but they're not talking about it they're just letting it all happen i spent i mean i spent a year and a half two years working with professional musical theater people and they've got a lot going on and the outlet the only outlet they have is singing so stand-up comedy you know when they've got messed up stuff going on in their head they get up on stage they work it out so I always kind of felt like musical theater people are kind of a little more fucked up, you know? <laughs> now, now your album, Voices in My Head, has has been out since March. And how how did that feel for you? How did that feel for you put uh sharing that with everybody? You know, um it's a fun album. I went out of my way to make it like basically pg rated so that i think there's 12 tracks three of them have maturity like a little maturity thing on them for language um but the rest of it is all clean so that way young people could watch could you know could listen to it and i wouldn't be worried about them i can perform it in front of my elderly aunts and uncles and not you know piss everybody off um 
which which took a lot of work like kind of recording a clean album was a specific choice so that i could get it on sirius xm on the radio and sirius xm picked up nine out of the 12 tracks for all three comedy stations which is a pretty huge deal uh, to get on all three comedy stations that's like comedy roundup that's like the southern you know like hey how how y'all doing you know it's like those guys <laughs> and then it's raw dog which is like like you know very like you know and then i told this chick the fuck it fuck it you know like whatever uh raw dog is nasty it's all nasty and then there's the other one which is like laugh usa which is the is pg rated stand-up comedy and so i had to record basically an entire album that was pg laugh usa stand-up comedy for it to get released by a big record label which is what happened we got a big label to to make the album and produce it and put it out and uh and 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 it worked out i mean i would love to be able to do an album that's maybe a little more edgy at some point but um it felt really good putting out uh putting out comedy into the world during a time where the world definitely needs some laughs so you know I definitely agree with that. It was a great album. It's really funny, guys. If you have not checked it out, it's on all platforms. That's so Please nice. check it out. I, I really enjoyed it. I really, especially uh, the Obama versus Trump one and the presidential one. That was really funny to me. You know, um, I don't know if if uh, you know this or not, but Stormy Daniels came to my album taping and was <laughs> sitting in the audience while I was doing my Trump impression. For, for her and the rest of the room, which was uh, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. So weird. So cool. <laughs> so cool. It was awesome. We're going to get into a quick rapid-fire favorite things. All right, okay. So, your favorite, favorite Gustavo rock quote? Favorite Gustavo rock quote is, I'm amazing. <laughs> Uh, your favorite podcast that you listen to? Uh, your Mom's House, uh, Tom Segura and Christina Pazitsky. Their show is amazing. Amazing. They got favorite. me into 90 Day Fiance. Oh, and you watch 90 Day Fiance? That's like a, that's a, no, that's obsessive. <laughs> interviewed Big Ed from 90 Day Fiance on the podcast. It, it uh, The interview ended up in People Magazine. It was so insane and then i just interviewed far varya from the show the, okay. the russian girl mm-hmm. and uh, and then um we're interviewing soja boy on wednesday all the way he's in nigeria and we're interviewing him on wednesday so I'm that very, is so cool i love that show. speaking of the nighttime show your favorite nighttime show guest that you've had uh, my favorite nighttime show guest is Bruce Valanche. Bruce Valanche wrote the Oscars, the Emmys, and the Tony Awards for 30 years. He wrote every line of dialogue Bette Midler has ever said in any movie, and he wrote the Star Wars holiday special, the worst Star Wars thing to ever exist, uh, except for the uh, most recent. So we know how you feel. And your favorite fan experience? 
favorite fan experience was um uh oh man i shouldn't say that dating a fan's mom can you say it that (laughs) (laughs) you date a fan's mom i respect that though sure sure. many of them but one in (laughs) one or two in particular And what has quarantine taught you about yourself that you didn't know before? Um, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And also, nothing uh, is a good substitute for hugs uh, from people you love, you know? And did you have any new projects that you were working on that is coming up before the quarantine went into effect? Yeah, but they're crazy. I mean, I, you know, I've been working on a lot of neat stuff that was happening before quarantine. Um, Monster Hunter, the animated film, I'm the the, one of the leads in that. So that should be out hopefully later this year. I know it's done. I mean, it's it, the film's completed. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be out soon. Well, we cannot wait to check it out, guys. If you want to rewatch all of Big Time Rush, it is on Hulu, or you can always buy it if you just want to have it forever and keep it. On yeah. iTunes, Amazon, it's all out there. Storks can be found on HBO, Go, or Max, depending on what you have. And, and, you s- and who? Oh, it's on Hulu now. Yeah, I'm basically all over Hulu. You can watch. Oh, and if you want to see uh, White Fang, I was in White Fang, which is on Netflix now. And check out White Fang on Netflix, guys. We have nothing but time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us here today. You too. Thanks for chatting and uh, and spending time with me. I uh, I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Do you want to tell the people on all social media where they can find you if they don't already know. Of course. Yeah, no, people can get me at Stephen Glickman, S-T-E-P-H-E-N Glickman on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, and you can find the nighttime show anywhere uh, that podcasts can be found, uh, but you can just look it up at thenighttimeshow.com. And you guys can find me at Real Shay Jones on Twitter and Instagram. And please follow the Dish Upon a Star Instagram account at Dish upon a star underscore. You guys have a great day. Stay safe out there, wherever you may be. Bye, guys. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.